Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1 uh, verses uh, 24 uh, to 29 uh, this morning. Colossians chapter 1 uh, verses uh, 24 to 29. This is the word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery which is in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we ask that you would be at work in us. We ask that you would be pleased to develop in us as Christians a, a maturity in Jesus Christ. That we would grow up in bearing his image and become uh, the mature person of Christ. Reflecting him. Echoing his, his character, his goodness and his love at work through us. Lord, we ask you would give me the words to say concerning this passage today, that your spirit would be present, that you would fill our hearts and and build us up in the Lord. We believe that the word of God feeds your people. And so we come before you and just ask this morning that you would feed our, our souls, not just our minds, Lord, although you do bring truth to our minds, but bring your spirit that it, that it might sink into our hearts. And that we might love you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I was at at the funeral of uh, Pastor Al Millers. uh, And it is always different when you go to the funeral of a believer. Uh, Obviously, at a funeral of a believer, the the truth is proclaimed. uh, But it's different in the lives of the family. There's always a a sadness at funerals, but it's a different sort of sadness when it's believers, particularly uh, when they're believers who are mature in their faith. And one of the things that that came across really clearly yesterday, and I'm sure you've been to funerals like this, it was really clear that God was good. Don't understand why Pastor Miller uh, died. We don't understand the plan and purpose of God, but it was made really clear that God was good and that Pastor Miller's hope had been and always was in the Lord. And so there was this hope that was able to come to us. And, and perhaps you've been in situations like that where you've had a, a clear realization in your minds of the hope of glory that awaits us as believers There is a real, tangible hope. Hope is not something uh, in in the Christian life. It's not something like the world describes hope. 
hope for, for the non-believer is, is sort of this, this vague thing that is out there. It is sort of this, this wish, this maybe if I'm lucky these things will happen. It, it is not something tangible. It is, it is almost like a, a shadow that, that may be there but flickers and you're not sure. But for the believer, hope is tangible because hope is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage in particular, Paul reminds us of the hope of glory that awaits us. And that hope is, is displayed now in the believer as Christ is being formed in us. No matter where you are in your Christian life, Jesus Christ is dwelling in you and is being formed in you. That's our main point this morning, that simply Christ is being formed in you. The believer has a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ where we have confessed our sins, repented, put all of our trust in Him. We we use the phrase sometimes in, in the regular world, in daily things, I put all my eggs in one basket. All of our eggs are in one basket in the sense that we are relying only and totally on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, Christ comes through His Spirit and is inside of us. When I was younger, I never... When I was going through that sort of uh, smart aleck phase where I think I know everything, uh, I never liked the language of ask Jesus into your heart because I always thought it was kind of shallow. Well, the Bible doesn't use those words. And, And that's true. The Bible doesn't use the words ask Jesus into your heart. But it does convey a truth that when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. And Christ, even though He bodily dwells in heaven, is somehow spiritually in you, being formed in you as you are transformed into the image. And this gives us power for the Christian life. This gives us assurance for the Christian life. This gives us confidence for the Christian life. And we want to look at at three things that that are grounded on the fact that we are being formed or that Christ is being formed in us. So first this morning, because Christ is being formed in you, do not be afraid to suffer for Christ's sake. Do not be afraid when, when trials and hardships and difficulties and even suffering comes into the Christian life. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. You see, Paul is willing to suffer for Christ for the sake of spreading the gospel. Somehow, Paul knows that as he suffers as a member of Christ's body, he is also, in a way, suffering for the body. That, that these sufferings, that these trials will serve a larger purpose in the plan of God. Paul went through a lot of suffering. Christians around the world today go through a lot of suffering. Sometimes in American context, I think we should almost be ashamed to to talk of suffering in in the sense that we really don't know what suffering is like compared to Christians around the world today. 
None of us had to come here in secret today. None of us had to to slink in the back door or worry about Christians, uh, uh, worry about police officers breaking down the doors to arrest Christians. In India, I've heard stories of women who, who go to church and come home to find the doors locked and they have to sleep outside because their husbands uh, do not want them to be Christians. Even women who suffer brutally under their husbands for being Christians. Paul was no stranger to this suffering either. In 2 Corinthians, he describes all that he went through. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So 39 lashes, five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from all the, from other things. In other words, if this wasn't enough, Paul says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And yet, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I I rejoice in all of these things. Why does Paul rejoice? Because it served a purpose. It served a gospel purpose. Paul says that his sufferings was, quote, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What does this mean? Paul is not saying that somehow the cross of Jesus Christ isn't enough to save us from our sins. He's not saying, well, Jesus suffered a little bit on the cross, but if I don't suffer for you, uh, there's no way you can be redeemed. Jesus Christ's sufferings on the cross was sufficient to save all who would come to him and put their faith and trust in him. But what Paul is saying is that his sufferings serve the church. They serve a larger purpose for the church. They are, as as a Christian, Paul is suffering as part of being in Jesus Christ. And so these sufferings are for the sake of the church in an analogous way to the way that Jesus' sufferings are on our behalf. Paul uses some of the same words. They are for the sake of this body, for us on our behalf is, is some of the, the same wording that is often used to describe Jesus' sufferings. Paul's sufferings help to spread the gospel. Even more, Paul knows that when a believer suffers, they are suffering in union with Christ. So it is just as much as if Christ was suffering. In other words, when you and I go through a trial or a hardship or a difficulty, Jesus is right there having been united to us. We are sharing in Jesus Christ, and so Jesus Christ is sharing in our sufferings. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 25 uh, at the judgment, calling the disciples before him. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And of course, then those who are being judged come and they say, Lord Jesus, when did we ever do these things for you? They never went to Jesus when he was in a prison. They never brought food. None of us here today have ever seen the physical presence of the Lord Jesus. Jesus answers and says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Even more, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus Christ appeal, appears to him in this great and wonderful vision. What, what does Jesus say to Saul before his name is changed to Paul? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. When did Saul ever lay a hand on Jesus? Saul persecuted Jesus when he had persecuted the church. That's how tight the union is. That's how close the connection is. That, that whatever happens to us as, as believers, we are sharing in the afflictions of Christ. Christ is there with us. It is serving uh, the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even more, it is serving the purposes of the church. There have been times in my life when I have seen what Christians have gone through and it has strengthened my faith because I take an honest evaluation and I say, I don't know if I could respond the way that they are responding and praising the Lord through this. And it encourages me. And maybe you've been there where, where you see someone going through a hardship and you, you marvel at the, how the Lord is building their faith. And it in turn encourages your faith. Maybe you've been the one in the trial and, and you've gotten to points in your trial where, where you are so broken and beaten down and discouraged. Maybe even just through a physical illness and you, you cry out to the Lord and He gives you strength that you did not know that you had. Because it's not your strength. You see, when we suffer, when we go through hardship, the Lord ministers to us and oftentimes it serves not only to honor the Lord, but it becomes then on behalf of the church as God uses it in the lives of others. You see, Paul understood that the minister of the gospel is a servant of the gospel, a steward of what God has given them. And that means oftentimes suffering for the sake of others. Look at verse 25 with me, if you will, of which speaking then of the church, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. Paul calls himself a minister of the church, a, a steward. All that he is doing then is for the church on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has called him to this. Paul's mission in life is not to be the biggest and best preacher on the street, not to be the strongest apostle, not to have the greatest ministry that people rave about. Paul's mission is to be a steward of what God has given him. To do what it takes on behalf of the church. The word minister basically just means servant. One who, who serves. It's interesting that this word stewardship, I, I ran across this, it was either in one of the commentaries or one of the, the resources, so I, 
you know, you can't, I can't, can't take credit for finding this. But it's interesting, there's a Jewish writer by the name of Josephus that wrote at the time. And he uses this word stewardship to describe Joseph's relationship to Pharaoh in the Old Testament. You remember Pharaoh and Joseph. Remember how, how Pharaoh, inter, or excuse me, Joseph interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and, and Joseph then is released from prison and he's made the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He has charge over everything and there's no one greater in the land than Joseph than the Pharaoh. Excuse me, there's no one greater in the land than Joseph except for Pharaoh. In other words, he's number two. But Joseph is given this, in a sense, as a stewardship. This authority wasn't inherent to Joseph. He didn't earn it. He didn't achieve it. It wasn't his by birthright. He only had the privilege of doing what he did to serve the nation so that not only the Egyptians, but also the future nation of Israel would be spared because Pharaoh gave him the authority. He was a steward of Pharaoh. The minister, Paul the Apostle, is a steward of God. He has a stewardship, something that is given to him by God to carry out. So he has a a mission, but it doesn't come from his power. It doesn't come from his ability. And it is certainly not to collect accolades for himself. He does it on behalf of the church. And that's why he's willing to suffer. That's why he's willing to pour himself out. He is a steward to take the word of God to the nations, to the Gentiles, to make the word of God fully known. Your call as a Christian is not all that unlike Paul's call. Now, let me be really clear. Paul's an apostle and none of us here are apostles. To be an apostle, you have to have seen uh, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the qualifications in Acts. Uh, and, and if you have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I need to take you aside and have some words with you and explain to you why Christ is in heaven and, and how he operates today. And yet, Paul describes elsewhere in Scripture all believers as those who have been called, those who have a mission. Certainly, all of us as believers are in Jesus Christ in the same way that Paul had that relationship. So we have a stewardship. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.13, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. As a believer, Christ has, or God has placed you in Christ. He is forming also Christ inside of you. He has given you a, a role, a part to play, a stewardship in the kingdom. And He has given the gospel to us like a deposit. Like something you put in a bank And you say to the manager of the bank, take care of this. This is precious to me. Guard it. Do not spend it frivolously. In the same way as a church, we need to guard the gospel. To make sure that we are proclaiming the word of God. That we are sticking to the the very truths. So that 
that when the next generation comes, we are faithfully passing it on so that the same message of truth that was given to us is the same thing that we give to the next generation. And sometimes this process is not very smooth. Sometimes it involves hardship. Me and some of my friends, when we were kids at Trinity Bible Fellowship Church, some of my friends, I'd like to say I can blame it all on my friends, but but I was involved. We were sometimes the kids that the, the Sunday school teacher pulls their hair out and says, why do I struggle so hard teaching these kids? And yet, through that mild, I hope it was mild suffering, they passed the gospel on to us. And I just had a wonderful conversation with one of my friends yesterday, uh, one of the guys that grew up in youth group with me. And we reconnected a little bit yesterday. And I told him how great it was just to see that he was walking in the Lord, him and another buddy of mine, um, both there yesterday, still walking in the Lord. Because someone in our Sunday school classes, someone in that church passed the gospel down to us. And now all three of us have kids. In fact, we were, I was remarking that now all of our kids are the same size that we were when we were getting into trouble at that church. And someone is passing on the gospel to them. And it's not always easy. And sometimes it involves suffering and difficulties and trials. And sometimes the Lord uses our trials, deep hardships, as examples for other believers. But rest assured that when you are in Jesus Christ, Your suffering serves Jesus and it serves the church. And you are in a sense and you can be in a sense if you suffer well, filling up the afflictions of Jesus Christ, that Christ will use them, that Christ's kingdom will be served. Even more, Paul is not the only one as a believer who is called to suffer. This is not something that is unique to the Apostle Paul. Christians who follow the example of Christ, will take up their cross. Christians, Paul says in Romans, suffer like Jesus suffered because the glory that Jesus has now is the glory that awaits us. So Paul says in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for his sake. This is very hard to get our minds around, but faith is a gift from God. And even more, suffering is a gift from God. That doesn't mean that, that God takes pleasure in seeing us go through hardship, but it is a gift that he brings to transform us into his image. God's goal is to form Christ in you and he uses suffering to that end second this morning christ is being formed in you because christ is being formed in you recognize the glory of the gospel in christ the reason this is all worthwhile at the end of the day is because there awaits for us an eternal glory that pales in comparison Paul says in in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that that the present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits. 
In other words, if we were to stack our sufferings up and it would come this high, the glory that awaits us would exceed the steeple on the top of our building. It can't even compare if we could rank them. So Paul's role in ministry is to make this gospel known, to share this word, and this gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says at the end of verse 25 that his mission is to be a minister according to the stewardship to make the word of God fully known. And I would argue that every pastor, every minister, every elder, every church member has that responsibility to dwell in the Word of God and make the Word of God known. What is this mystery? What is this Word of God? He says the gospel is the mystery, quote, hidden for the ages and generations that is now revealed to the saints. What does Paul mean? Well, Paul describes it in Romans 16 in this way. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, that has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings that has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. What Paul means is this. It's not as if we did not know Jesus was coming. Okay, we have all the prophecy. It's it's not a mystery in the sense of a surprise. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. It's nowhere in the Old Testament. That is not what Paul means. He's very clear that it is it is laid down. It is prophesied about that there are are things that we see coming. But you know how as a child Christmas is coming. And, and even if you ask for a certain gift and you're certain your parents are going to give that gift, you know how Christmas morning is sort of a mystery? There's that box there. It, it looks like it's the right size. You, you pick it up and you shake it and it, it rattles like that scooter that I asked for. It has, it has the right weight. All the, all the signs are there. All the promises from your parents that, that we will get these things, that they will provide them for you, that they will be gracious, have been laid down through the course of the year. And then it comes. And you open it. And you're like a kid in the candy store with your excitement. This is how the gospel is like a mystery. It was all laid down. The pieces of the puzzle, the hints, the the shadows that, that make the predictions don't tell us everything. Don't tell us the date and time of when Jesus is going to come, but, but tell us that it is coming. And then he shows up. And, and the mystery that we were given hints about is suddenly revealed and, and the full picture is there. All of the promises are kept. Peter describes the Old Testament prophets as as those who were prophesying the sufferings and glories of Christ, and yet they longed to look into it. They searched diligently, hoping they could understand when this would take place. And the coming of Jesus Christ is a mystery that was revealed. A mystery that we had prophecies about. But the coming shows us the fullness. The coming, the actual accomplishment, reveals things to us. 
Things that were only prophesied now happen in their reality. And it is a joy. Even, I I think you can make the case that, that the Old Testament, for all that it told us about Jesus and what Jesus would do, we don't, we don't quite fully understand from the Old Testament what it means to be in union with Christ. Just how close that connection that Jesus would have to his people. There are hints and prophecies and shadows of it in the Old Testament, but when it actually happens, that Jesus Christ would actually die for me, that I would actually be enabled to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The saints of God had waited for this on bated breath for thousands of years. And you and I have this tremendous privilege of living in the day and age where we have seen these things be fulfilled. Now, I know none of us lived through the actual death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I I certainly hope none of us are that old here today. But we see these things having been fulfilled. We have the testimony of it in the word of God. And it is a joy. The background for the term of mystery comes from Daniel chapter 2. When Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream. And remember how he sees this giant statue. Now think back to your Sunday school stories and days. Remember that giant statue and it has, it has a different metals throughout and it has feet of clay. I think it's legs of iron and, and a silver breastplate and a gold head. And, and then at the end, this, this giant rock tumbles down the hill and, and just crashes through this statue and completely wrecks it. And Daniel interprets this mystery for Nebuchadnezzar. The four stages of that statue are four different kingdoms of earth. That giant rock is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a mystery how this great kingdom will one day come. It's something they waited for. It's something now that has been fulfilled So it's a mystery that has been revealed. And then Paul says in verse 27, to them, to the saints, that he has revealed this to us. It says, to them, he chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glory, which is in you in the hope of glory. The Old Testament promises that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the nations... Not just Israel, but the nations will come to Jesus Christ. I wish we had time to look at all the verses. It's all over the Psalms. It's in Isaiah. There's tons of places that the nations come to worship the living God when God accomplishes his purpose. And Paul is picking up on that. And he is writing to a church of Gentiles. And probably most of us here today don't have Jewish heritage meaning we get to be a part of these promises, not because of our family line, but because God saw fit to spread the gospel outward from Jerusalem into all the world. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. Ephesians chapter 1 starts out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless. God had a plan and He chose us before the foundations of the world, not because of anything in us, but because of His good grace. He chose us so that in the the right time, when faith works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could come to experience Christ in us. Christ being formed. God takes us in Christ and, and makes us a new creation so that we bear His image. I think one of the weeks I talked about how images are in the Old Testament or in the, in the New Testament times were a reminder of, of coins that would bear the image of Caesar and they, they bared His authority and his, sta- uh, his, his stamp. God makes us into precious coins where we would bear the image of Jesus Christ. He stamps us as his own. And, and you know how you ever go through your, your change purse or your pockets and you have some coins that are really, really shiny. And then you have those really dirty ones. And you take them and you begin to clean them up. And, and you polish them. And you, you apply maybe some chemicals to them or you put a little elbow grease into it and you rub And over time, the image on that coin begins to shine through. That is what God is doing in the hearts and lives of believers. And sometimes he uses hardships to do that. But he chose you to this task. To to form Christ in you. To make you into his image. So that we might know the glories that are to come. And when we are in heaven, we will shine like stars, but we will reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we will be an image bearer. That is, that is the hope of glory that remains us. It, it is not as if I have my own glory that I can walk before God and say, look how great I am. I will walk into the presence of God because of the goodness that He has done in me and I will be, because of the grace of Jesus, a mirror. And everyone on that day who says, look at Tim Bertolette, will not be looking at Tim Bertolette or whatever, whoever is there. They will say, look at Jesus Christ and His glory reflected off of them. That each one of us has sins that will be removed from us when we go into the presence of the Lord. And each one of us will receive new resurrection bodies at the end. And those bodies will dwell in the presence of God's glory and share in that glory because we can now reflect it outward. This is a great mystery. But this is also a great hope that awaits us. Your present sufferings pale in comparison to what we will look like on that day when we are a coin that has been polished and we bear the image of Christ in its fullness. 
finally this morning, we need to ask the question, how does God form this in us? How does God do this in the life of a church? Because Christ is being formed in you, be willing to proclaim God's word and grow in it. Paul's mission in ministry is to proclaim the word of God. Verse 28, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I ran across a quote a couple weeks ago. Uh, If you're familiar with the phrase, it, it went viral, meaning everybody was spreading it everywhere on the Internet. It was a pastor who said this, well-known pastor, big church. I won't share his name because that's not the point. But he says this, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that is just cheating. Cheating because that would be easy, first of all. But that isn't how you grow people. No one in Scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. Paul the Apostle, I think, would contradict those words. Paul the Apostle says to the church in Ephesus, when I was here ministering to you, I preached the whole counsel of God's Word. Paul the Apostle says, we proclaimed Him, Jesus Christ, the fullness of what there is to say about Him. We're, we're teaching it to you. We're, we're warning you to repent. We're warning you of the dangers of walking away. But we're also giving you spiritual wisdom. We're, we're telling you how this applies to your life. We're, we're, we're opening the Word of God and saying, see how this is the Word of God. See how it is wise and for your benefit. Here's how you can obey it. Here's how you take it out with them. And, and why does Paul do this? What is, what is the, the method behind Paul's madness that people would look at Paul and say, why do you waste your time proclaiming the Word of God? Verse 28 tells us that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's mission is not to fill people's head with mere information. He wants to present people back to God mature in Christ. There's imagery here. There's there's just a, a richness of this presenting people to Christ mature in Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation is like a wedding day. For the church. And if we follow that analogy through, Paul is like the the father who takes his bride and walks her down the aisle and presents her to Jesus Christ and says, This is your bride that you died for. And I ministered your word, and I'm bringing her to you complete, mature, wearing robes of righteousness. The robes of righteousness are Jesus' robes that He won for us on the cross. But the way that Jesus gets these robes onto His bride is He uses us. And particularly, He uses ministers. And most of all, He uses the Word of God because the Spirit works through the Word of God.
Paul says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. But in Romans 10:14, a few verses earlier, he says this. So how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is part of the plan and purpose of God to, to take us and fill Christ into us. You know how as a child, do you know how you grow up to be strong? You exercise and you eat well. Suffering can kind of be like exercise. You're stretching those muscles. And that's why some of us don't like to exercise because it is suffering. and We don't like the aches. I don't like to exercise. So I'm not I'm not saying anything about any. of you. I don't like to exercise. But you also have to eat well. Remember how your parents as little kids said, eat your vegetables so you can grow up strong and healthy. Parents would tell me, eat your carrots so you don't have any problems with your eyes. Well, that that really worked well. I remember, it wasn't me, it was one of my siblings having to sit for hours because they didn't like vegetables. But we had to eat well. You and I need to eat well. We need to focus on the Word of God. And it's not about filling our heads. It's not about saying, hey, we're, we're going to be the smartest church on the block because of the way our pastor preaches or the way we handle the Word of God. It's about looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus wants to form himself in me. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, that he wants to work in you, that he continues to work in you? The means that the Holy Spirit uses is the word of God. Personal reading, personal devotions, personal meditation on it. Come into Sunday school. Why do we teach little kids in Sunday school? Is it because we want to have cute little games for them so they're not here being distracted while, while we're doing big church? No. It's because we know God uses his word. And we need to know that God will use his word in us. Let me give you just a couple concluding things to pray for and reflect on in the life of our church. First, preaching is the keystone of gospel ministry. It's the way that God has has determined to work. And I need to ask myself, am I asking God to work through his word? And do I trust that God works through his word? The best thing that you can do before you come to church is prepare your heart in prayer and pray for me. I'm nobody special, but pray that God would use his word. Second, do we pray that the Spirit would be at work? Do we pray for His power? You realize that when Christians grow in their faith, or when someone comes to saving faith, do you realize that that in biblical language that is a miracle? That is someone moving from death to life? If you don't 
well, let me try to say it a different way. Sometimes we, we are looking for miracles in the world. We are looking for all these other things. But miracles happen when people come to saving faith. Miracles are that Christ is being formed in me. Finally, pray to that end, that Christ would be formed in us and continue to be formed in us. God wants us to be knit together in love. God wants us to to look around the room and love one another. And that's a spiritual process because Christ has to be at work in us. What can you take with you this morning? I hope that you take with you a desire, a fire in your hearts that, that Jesus Christ would be formed in our midst. We trust that as he's formed in our midst, we each have a, a measure of responsibility to use our spiritual gifts, to, to prepare our hearts, to spend our own time in the word as well. But we also trust that as he's formed in our midst, the Lord will use that to bring other people to saving faith. I know we're all praying, or I trust that we're all praying to that end. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, we just pray. We pray that you would be at work in us. We pray that, that you, through Jesus Christ, you would form Jesus in us, into our hearts, into our lives. We pray that you would give us the courage to take the gospel out from beyond these four walls and share it with people. Maybe there's someone that we need to invite to to come to church or, more importantly, to come back to you. Maybe there's someone who doesn't know the gospel in our lives and we need to to be like the Apostle Paul and, and, and as it were, stick our neck out and and risk uh, damaging our reputation or being made fun of or maybe even suffering in some real way but you've called us to take the gospel to them. Give us that courage. Give us that desire. We just pray that you'd knit us together in love and build us up in you. In your name we pray. Amen.